0: Amen. Well, it has been quite the week uh, here at Southside. It has been a week of celebration as we uh, celebrated together uh, the birth of baby Brown. Uh, For those of y'all who don't know, Forrest and Stephanie welcomed in their little beautiful baby boy. And so uh, Deacon Brown and Ma Brown, I'm going to call them that from now on. (laughs) They are doing well, and they are home enjoying their new little one. If you've not seen photos of this sweet, precious baby, then uh, find someone who has a phone that has them, and man, let's just celebrate together. But I got to tell you, it has been a a celebration, but this has been a week of emotions here at our church. Um, We celebrated new life this week. We celebrated homecomings um, this week as several in our family uh, grieved and celebrated together the homecoming of a father of a husband, of a grandfather. Um, on the same day that happened, we found another family in our faith family was grieving the loss of a father as well. And um, then in the midst of all that happening, we just had families dealing with uncertainty and confusion and and heartache that that many of us could never imagine. And so it has been quite the week, and so Friday, I get to uh, what generally is my day off, and as I, I generally do, I try to spend it reading and praying and and meditating, and uh, I spent it with a neighbor for a little bit who was out and noticed that I was aggressively killing plants in my yard the night before, and uh, just asked if I was okay, and I told him, hey, it's been an emotional week, and so we talked for a little bit, uh, then followed that up with a conversation with a dear, faithful pastor friend of mine, much older uh pastor friend of mine, I probably shouldn't say that because if this is being recorded, I know he watches them and he would get really upset that I just said much older because he's not that much older, but he is older. Either way, um, I sat with him or I talked to him on the phone and I just told him, I said, this has been a week of highs, of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And it's just hard to faithfully preach what's coming next in our passage when it feels like there, it just feels so trivial. And I was encouraged by this brother as he shared Just be faithful to the word of God and let the word of God do what the word of God does. So we're going to do that today. So please forgive me in that, but we're going to continue to press forward in Malachi today because I think some normalcy is needed and necessary for many of us. And uh, man, I'm just looking forward to what the Lord has for us in this particular passage today. But at the same time, I want us to remember that uh, we have a responsibility as a faith family to continue to lift one another up and pray for one another and encourage one another And uh, encourage one another with the word. And so, um, man, let's make sure that we are staying faithful to that very task. So with that, we are in Malachi chapter 3, looking specifically at verses 6 through 12. Now, we are actually entering... Uh, Our last couple weeks here in Malachi, leading us up to Easter uh, weekend, which is a a weekend as believers in Christ where we come together and celebrate the hope that we have and the power of the resurrection. And uh, man, I tell you, we uh, sang a little bit about the goodness and the grace of the resurrection today um, and singing about the fact that we do have uh, the words of life in front of us because God has given us his word. Um, I think it was beautiful that we sang, uh, When the Sun Comes Up, Satisfy Us. Oh Lord, and then uh, we sang the Reformation song this morning, which I really believe they should change the name of that song and just call it the Anthem for All Christians, um, because really that's what it is. It was uh, powerful to look around and, and see so many of you walking through so much right now and to see you sing uh, glory to God alone. And so I can't imagine uh, the emotion of just singing those words and still praising God. You know, I'm just in the midst of, of all that's taking place. And so anyway, Powerful, powerful morning. just being able to be together and to be able to sing. Now, uh, again, coming back to Malachi chapter 3, we are again looking at um, really another dispute that God now has with his people. And as we've said every week, in the midst of each of these disputes, God's not just revealing to us his disputes against the people, but rather he's showing us his covenant grace at work. So remember, before we started this series, I had quite a few folks come up and ask, hey, why are we walking through Malachi together? This is like one of the hardest books where God is probably the, the harshest. And what I've, I've hoped that we have seen through this study together, that really God is not harsh at all, but rather what God is revealing is that, that he is always faithful, even when we are the ones who are faithless. And so we've been constantly been seeing and reminded of of God's covenant grace at work within our lives, whether we fail to see it or whether we see it clearly. And so what's going to ultimately happen as we read today and as we read into Malachi chapter 4 is that the book of Malachi is going to naturally lead us To the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, we saw a little bit of that uh, in our passage last week, and we're going to see more of it today, and then you're going to see more of it as we get into chapter 4. Now, if you've been reading ahead, you've probably already looked at verses 6 through 12 and thought, how on earth can this particular passage have anything to do with? coming to Christ or the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. Well, I would argue at this point that even though this passage speaks specifically to tithing, it has everything to do with the coming of Jesus Christ. You see if you if you think about it for a moment, tithing has everything to do with Christ. Because tithing or lack thereof actually exposes a heart problem that Jesus Christ had to die for. Now, at the same time, this passage this morning is going to show us how we as believers, no matter what is happening in life, are called to continue to live generously in response to God's grace through the coming of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. So let's go ahead and jump into our text. Let's see yet another dispute between God and his people that now calls us to live generously. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I hope you would enjoy uh, join me in uh, Malachi chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 6. And once you have found your place there, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. We read... For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if you have been keeping count as we have been walking through Malachi, this is now round five of a six-round dispute between God and his people. And unlike the previous disputes where where God jumps directly into the issue, this particular dispute today has a bit of a lead-in before God ultimately makes his point. So as we read this text, I want us to, to really see how this passage not only reveals more about the character of God, but also how it reveals more about the character of God's people. But at the same time, I want us to pay attention how how God is now going to give his people the opportunity to repent where they have been wrong. So let's jump into this text again and see the call to tithe, or better yet, the call to live generously with our lives. Look again with me at verse 6. God says, for I, the Lord, do not change. I would encourage you, if you underline or highlight your Bible, you should probably underline that particular phrase. Let's continue. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, if you were here last week, you know that we actually spoke to this verse a week ago when we were talking about the justice of God. So we kind of had a little bit of a spoiler and saw a little bit of the hope that was to come because of who God is. So, This particular passage literally acts as a transition passage between one dispute to now all of a sudden turning our attention to the beginning of another dispute. So from this passage, I want us to really see and understand four thoughts that we read about in this one verse on the character of God versus the character of man. First, let's see this in verse 6. When we read verse 6, we clearly see that when it comes to God, The Lord does not change. God is constant. God is reliable. God always fulfills His promise. God is promise maker, and God is promise keeper. Which leads to the the second point that I want us to see that, that really deals with the character of man. Even though the Lord himself does not change, his people are the children of Jacob. You see, we as his people, just like the people in Malachi, we are descendants from Jacob whose name means grasper or supplanter. Remember, it was Jacob who was the one who cheated his brother out of his birthright. So, Being in this particular line, we, unlike God, are not reliable. We will cheat. We will cheat one another, and we will cheat God. We can, we will, and we do fail. Which leads us to thought number three. Not only does the Lord not change, but we are the people, his people are the children of Jacob. But three, we see this, that similar to God... We don't change much. Now again, I'm not saying in this particular point that we are God, nor am I saying that God changes, but rather I think Malachi's point right here in verse 6 is that just like their ancestor Jacob, the people again were trying to cheat God out of what properly belonged to him, and so that's what this particular passage is about. But if you go back and read earlier chapters in Malachi, you'll see it was the people who were constantly cheating God out of what rightfully belonged to him. Remember, the people of God cheated God when it came to right worship. It was the people of God who cheated God when it came to caring for God and caring for one another. It was the people of God who blamed God and cheated God by blaming him for the lack of justice happening in the world, a justice that belongs only to him. And as we're going to see today, it is yet the people again who cheat God by robbing God from his storehouses. So again, the Lord does not change. We, as the people of God, are the children of Jacob. Therefore, we do not change much. However, characteristic number four that I want to see comes back to God himself, and that is this. God is persistent, and God is consistent when it comes to his goodness. You see, in the midst of dealing with a people who scheme against him, in the midst of dealing with a people who continue to send a sin against him, God neither consumes them nor does God destroy them. So unlike weeks past where we ended with seeing God's covenant grace at work at the end of the dispute, this passage in the beginning of this dispute gives us the reminder of God's covenant grace. in the fact that when we are the ones who are faithless, when we are the ones who cheat God, it is God who is still faithful to what it is that he has promised to his people. But then notice how God is not done with making his point about the grace that he has now shown his people. Read with me in verse 7. He says, "...from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me." And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Notice how in verse 7 here, God calls out their multi-generational disobedience against him. Now, God does not bring up their past sin in order to beat them with their sin. And and nor does God bring it up simply to, to point out his disgust and rather his condemnation for their past sins. Rather, notice what the Lord says after calling them out for their sin. He says this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, God here reveals in his unchanging grace that the people are now invited to repent. I mean, just stop and think about that for a moment. Think about it in terms of Your lives with your own children. I mean, how many of us have had the conversation with our own children that when they do something wrong, the conversation goes something like this. If you would just be honest with me and tell me what you did, then your consequences may not be as bad. Just own it. Apologize for it. Then there may be little to no consequence for what may have happened. Now, the reason why we do this for our kids is because we want our children to to understand what it means to take responsibility for their actions and to take responsibility for their words. Now, again, don't mishear the lesson that we have for our children because the reality is our kids need to know that every response has consequences, and sometimes those consequences are good, sometimes they are bad. But if it is bad, it won't get worse if they are honest. But the reality is this. Many of us in the midst of our consequences don't own them. We try to make them worse by continuing a lie in order to cover ourselves. Well, notice that God here in this particular passage is now giving the same out to his own people. He literally says to them, repent, return to me. Return to me, and I will be with you. Remember, I will not consume you. Why? Because of what he already said in Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Because he has loved us first. I mean, you could literally take Malachi 1, 1 and bridge it right over to Malachi 3, verse 6, and you read, God loved us first. God does not change. Therefore, God will not consume us. And then get into verse 7, and what does he say? Repent. Just return to me. Now you would think that the people's response upon hearing this would be, yes, Lord, I see it. Yes, Lord, we repent. Thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for dwelling with your people. And then all of a sudden, you read Malachi 1.1, you get to Malachi 3.6, and then it's over. Like, Malachi is done. What else needs to be said? Right? Well, unfortunately, that wasn't the response of the people. Notice their response. God says, but you say, how shall we return? Notice the people in the midst of their own sin are literally stalling for more time. In the midst of their question, they're not just just asking a question because they don't know. They're literally deflecting God. Perhaps they're even even blaming God for what's happened to them. God, they they literally may even be saying, God, you say return to me, but, but how? How can we return to you? You haven't shown us how to do that. And yet God's people had the clear answer right in front of them in the word. And for whatever reason, within their own sin, within their own pride, they decided to stall and blame God for more time. I mean, kind of the best way to equate this moment in my mind, the way I think about it is like this. It's kind of like watching a three-hour movie that really could have ended about an hour and a half into it. Have you ever been to that movie? I mean, let me just, listen, I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. But let's be honest. In the first movie, when Gandalf gets taken down as the the gray wizard, he becomes the white. If you don't know what happens, you should watch it. If you don't know what happens by now, read a book, man. Okay? Or watch a movie. Seriously. What's the last thing he says before he falls off the cliff? Fly, you fools. God, what is he alluding to? Keep going. But not just keep going. He tells them earlier, go north. Why? Because that's where the eagles are. Who saves them at the end of the third movie? The Eagles. Whole thing could have ended in an hour and a half. But I still love, by the way, I still love those movies and I have them. I have the extended version. That's how I'm into them, okay? So I'm glad he falls. I'm glad they don't listen. Great story, right? But anyway, coming back to our text. As we continue to read, In this text, we we literally see something that really could have ended a lot sooner than what it did, but clearly the people have no idea what's going on. And so here's what happens to us. We now strap in, in this movie, completely out of popcorn, needing to use the restroom, and now we have to wait and see what happens next. So as we continue to read this text, we see the people stalling as God now opens a new door through their stalling in order to reveal a very specific dispute that he now has with them. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. He says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He answers, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Notice in the midst of their deflection, their in the midst of their blame. God now opens the door to get more specific. And notice here how he accuses his people with a serious sin within the realm of their own finances. He literally says, you want to know what you should repent of? You want to know how you should repent? Well, it begins when you stop robbing me in your tithes and contributions. Notice how God is not simply calling the people out for their general lack of generosity here, but rather he's calling them out for failing at the specific obligation under the Sinai covenant to give to God what is rightly due to him as their sovereign king. In fact, if you go back and read Leviticus chapter 27 or go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 14, we see that laws were given to tithe that were specifically designed to remind the people that everything that they had was given to them by God as a gift. Thus, they are told to give back to honor him, and they are told to give back in order to remember what it is that God has done. Now, the reality of this specific gift is that God, what he was asking of the people of God in terms of their tithe paled in comparison to the taxes levied by the Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 47. And we need to remember that because some people at this point, when they read this passage in Malachi, say, well, this sounds like some sort of religious tax similar to what we are now being unfairly taxed for by our government. But I want to tell you today that that what God is asking for in Malachi chapter 3 pales in comparison to how much we are now paying for a dozen eggs. Follow along with me as we continue in the text. When you read about the tithe that God was asking for, in Numbers chapter 18, we learned that this specific tithe went to support full-time ministry of priests and Levites. Now, why would it do that? Because the priests and the Levites were the, were the leaders who didn't have land to work. They were the leaders whose, whose job was to, to faithfully lead the people spiritually, so they counted on the support of the people in order to live. So as they continued to pour themselves out for the spiritual well-being of the people, it was the people's responsibility to pour back into them so that they could be cared for. You continue to read in Deuteronomy chapter 14 again, we see that the tithes went to to support the ministry to the poor. These were the people who, who had no home. They had no family. These were the most vulnerable in the community during the days of the Old Testament. This list included specifically the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant looking for help. So I want us to pay attention how when God says we are robbing him, notice the call to tithe was not trying to to take money out of people's pockets without reason, but rather God took the tithes of the people and then turned it into resources to help the good of his people. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, the the joy of giving a tithe encourages people to joyful fellowship as they seek to support the ministries that the Lord has now entrusted in them. And yet, here's what happens in our text. Instead of giving, the people were were really shirking their responsibility to give to the Lord, and so God was withholding his own blessing from them. Verse 9, he says it, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. I mean, don't miss the irony of this moment. Throughout our whole text, we have seen how the people in their own disobedience, in their own carelessness, in their own sin, continue to expect God to bless them even though they had no care for him. And God says, all of you are acting this way. All of you are acting like other peoples of the world who do not have faith in God, a people who have no connection to God and therefore could care less about whether or not they had his blessing. And so in this moment, God is saying, you are acting more like those who don't believe. And brothers and sisters in Christ, sadly, this is true of us today. I mean, think about it. How many of us claim to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, yet we don't give to the church? How many of us claim to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, yet we don't serve? How many of us claim to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, yet we don't seek community within the church? How many of us claim to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, yet we don't share in the mission of the church? At this point, God says, you're no different than the pagan Gentiles. Well, maybe one difference would be this. At least they know they are indifferent towards God. So what's our excuse? And you see, here's the truth. Only God knows your heart. Only God knows what is being given and only God knows what is being withheld. In other words, God's, God knows your heart. He knows what we're giving. He knows what our heart is towards serving. He knows what we are doing with our time. He knows our heart. You know, let me tell you something. The one question God never has to ask is this. How are you doing? It's like the most popular question we ask as elders. How are you doing? You know why we ask that question? I'm gonna let you in on a secret because we don't know how you're doing we don't know where you're spending your time. We can't account for every day. We're not peeking in your windows. That'd be creepy, right? Like look out at your window. and All of a sudden you see an elder looking in. Might freak you out a little bit. <laughs> Nobody wants that. But God knows. He knows where we're spending our time. He knows the condition of our heart. It's just one scholar said it this way. He said, tithing was perhaps the perfect test to expose one's true heart relationship toward the Lord. Faithful giving or or selfish stinginess would truly be known only by the individual giver and God himself. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you today. Live generously. Seek to go above and beyond the call so that the ministry of the church can continue to move forward. And even if today you come in and you feel like, man, I just don't, I don't have it right now, pastor. Things are, things are hard. Things are tight. Okay, that's understandable. Do what you can. But then seek to continue to grow and be discipled in how you faithfully give and serve your time. Our text continues from here. And notice how the conversation now changes and the Lord now issues his own challenge, okay? Look with me in verses 10 and verses 11 here. The Lord says this. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not Destroy the fruits of your soul, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Notice how here in the text, in the midst of the people's disobedience, God calls them back in his grace to covenant obedience. He calls them back to faithfully trust him. And notice how he does it. He does it by by issuing his own challenge. He says in verse 10, and put me to the test. Now, again, I imagine that upon initial reading, you all probably had the same thought that I did. We all know that testing the Lord is a bad idea. We see that played out in the Gospels, we see it in in Deuteronomy chapter 6. However, pay attention to what the Lord is calling his people to test him with. When he says, Testing, he's not saying, take yourself up to the second floor of the education building at Southside and throw yourself from it, and I will catch you. That's not the type of testing he's talking about. Rather, what he is saying is this. He's saying, place your trust in the word. He's saying, act on your faith. Step out of your own comfort zone for a moment and see the goodness of the fact that God and God alone keeps his promises. Now again, notice here that God is not contradicting his own word at this moment, but rather I want us to see that there's actually a difference between the faithless testing of God and that which is faithful testing of God. You see, faithless testing delays obedience. Faithless testing calls God to make the first move. We say, God, you move, then I'll move. Faithless testing is when we seek to make the master himself our own servant. But what God is calling us to is faithful testing today. You see, faithful testing occurs when we embrace obedience to the call of God according to his word. This is when the believers make the first move and they step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm simply going to trust you with the next Step And thus it reflects the true reciprocal nature of our relationship with God. Now let me unpack what I'm talking about there for a moment. Understand this about God. God is always the initiator. Why? Because because God is the one who initiated the relationship with us. Okay? So in our passage here, God now calls the people to do something counterintuitive in the midst of their financial hardships. Remember, we talked a little bit about what was happening as as we we opened this particular book. In the midst of their their heartache, their hardships, God says, trust me. Loosen your grip on your resources and, and trust me with your tithes. And then notice what God says in verse 10 and 11. Notice the Notice God's response to their testing. He says this, he says phrases like, and I will open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer and your vine shall not fail. I mean, talk about an incredible promise of blessing. God literally says, trust me, step out in faith and the heavens will open and rain down crops and the pests will be destroyed and the harvest would no longer be barren, but rather it would be bountiful. Now again, don't hear this passage and then hear what the televangelist said. If you put your hand on this screen, you will be saved. I don't have 20 coins in my pocket that I'm now going to throw at you for $40 a piece. And if you keep it within you, you'll be blessed with $100 this week. That's not what God is saying. God is simply saying, if you truly believe in me, then trust the work that I am doing. Step out in faith. Continue to give of yourselves just because it gets hard all of a sudden. is not the time to close shop. But rather, it is the time to continue to advance and to continue to move forward. I love what Matthew Harmon says about this point. He says, all these promises reflect God's covenant promises to Israel for prosperity and health if Israel herself would remain faithful to the Lord as her covenant God. Again, here in this passage, we are seeing the call to live generously by trusting God himself. And I want us to remember today that that we can trust God. Why? Because Malachi 1-1, Because it was God who loved us first. We can trust God today because Malachi 3, 6, remember that phrase I told you to underline? It is God who is the one who doesn't change. Back half of verse 6, it is also God who will not consume us. And so we have to ask ourselves at this point, what reason do we have to not trust God? What reason... What excuse do we have to not trust God? You see, when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our generosity, do we approach God with an open hand or do we approach God with a closed fist? Maybe maybe a better better truth and question that we need to ask is it's kind of like our our currency says today. How do we trust God in our giving? will reflect the faith that we have in the God that we trust. But notice again, God's not done there. We get to verse 12 and look at what the Lord says next. He says, and then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now notice how our story ends for the nation when they are faithful in their tithes you see that all of a sudden they, there's, this, there's this result of a, of a worldwide recognition of Israel enjoying the status of the most favored nation with the Lord. Again, going back a, a couple weeks ago, this is not that moment where if we remain faithful and enjoy the favor of God, this, is, this actually means a little more than that, than that cheap dollar store plastic, one dollar world's best fill in the blank trophy, right? So what God is showing Israel here, is that Israel has a clenched fist problem. And God is literally saying to them, have faith and open your hands. Have faith, open up your time. Have faith, open up your hearts. Have faith, open up your finances. Trust me and I will bless you. And I will make you a nation who enjoys my favor. So I want to ask you, do we approach God with open hands or do we approach him with clenched fists? A lot of that can be found, again, as God's talking about here, in how we give. Do we sacrifice giving so that we can hurt someone? Then you're coming at God with a clenched fist. Do we we sacrifice giving to the local church because, because we don't believe in the mission and the vision of the local church? Then you're coming at God with a clenched fist. Do we, do we come on this campus and, and all of a sudden we, we meet in this building, but, but we look over there and we see that other building over there and we say, well, I don't know if this place even has a future. Then let me tell you something. You are approaching God with a clenched fist. Because you're not saying in that moment, God, I know you are still faithful. And no matter what happens, I am going to remain faithful to you. Let me take it one step further. Do we literally look at our schedules and say, we have no time to meet with the body of believers? Then you're coming at God with a clenched fist. Do we fully trust God with our time Do we fully trust God with our resources? Do we fully trust God with our finances? Do we fully trust God with our lives? Then open your hands. Now, some would probably argue at this point, because again, I recognize I'm in a room full of smart people. You would probably say at this point, but pastor, this is Old Testament law under a former covenant. This is a passage that's referencing a a Mosaic tithe obligation. So doesn't that mean that this law no longer applies to us since we are now under a new covenant in Christ? Well, from a literal standpoint, yeah, you're correct. I'm not going to take that away from you. Congratulations. However, even though the former stipulations may no longer be binding, they still reveal to us who God is And what it is that God loves. They still reveal to us just how holy God is. Which then should lead us to who we now are. And then reveals what it is that we now love. You see, this passage in Malachi 3 reveals more of God's character. And more of God's holiness. Which should hopefully guide and shape our behavior today. But since we're on the topic of of tithing and trying to convince ourselves that, that this tithing principle no longer applies to us, well, let's just look at the New Testament for a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Since we are now no longer condemned by God's covenant grace, we are now called to use everything that God grants us for his glory. That is our spiritual act of worship. Paul continues, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 calls the church to continue to give what is proportional. In other words, keep some for yourself so you can take care of your family, but do not neglect continuing to give to the local church to see to the mission and the advancement of the kingdom. In other words, bills are important. Food on the table, important. Eating out all the time. Paying for hobbies. Paying for video games. Having a hundred different movie channels, even though you only watch two, they're not as important. So do not cut out what you have set aside for God in order to continue to satisfy your worldly pleasures. Paul continues, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. We see that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I remember how churches used to apply this. This is what they used to do. They used to either have people stand up and wave their envelopes in the air, which I thought, that's kind of awesome. Especially when the envelopes were huge, and they'd like flap in the wind like a banner. I love that. Then I was at a church that had little envelopes, and I was like, yeah, not as cool. You know, wish they were kind of bigger. Sometimes churches would stand up and, and cheer and go nuts, for forgiving. I, I kind of love that concept as well. But here's here's what God is saying when it comes to that passage. He's not saying do either of those things. Rather, what he is saying is this. He's saying, as believers in Christ who now know the grace of God because of the love of God, which, oh, by the way, he loved us first, we are now called to give willingly and generously, not as someone who is under compulsion. In other words, we have a desire to give, not an obligation to give. We do it because of what the Lord has done for us, not because we walk in and say, well, I have to do this in order to be happy. No. Paul continues, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, Paul goes one step further and tells us, tells us this story about a generous giver who, listen to this, under a severe test of affliction and extreme poverty from the word, those are not my words, from the word, gave out of their abundance of joy an overflowed wealth of generosity. In other words, even in the midst of pain and struggle and heartache and frustration, the church still found ways to be generous. And they didn't stop. In fact, they they went further. They said, we're going to give out of our abundance now. We're We're going to overflow this place. So coming back to the question, yeah, we are under a new covenant. Yes, yes, there's this tithe in the Old Testament I think we should still respond to. But I want us to see that the New Testament now shows us that we should now go further when it comes to our giving. You see, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we should now give and live generously, which means now that we give more and not less. So let me unpack what I'm talking about. If you're one of those folks that that lives on a very healthy principle of we give 10%, that is good. That is really good. Continue to do that. If that's, if that's not you because you can't for whatever reason, then can I encourage you to continue to, to faithfully study the word, faithfully read the word, faithfully continue to grow in your giving because if we are gonna say that we need to continue to be discipled and grow in our faith, that means we, we grow in our passion for Jesus. It means that we grow in our love for the local church. It means that we grow in our worship. It also means that we grow in our service and our missions and our outreach and our missions, but it also means that we grow in our giving as well. So if that's you, continue to to press in and be encouraged by that but but if you are here today and you do give ten percent, then praise God and if that's all, then praise God but but listen as believers in Christ, if we continue to read the New Testament then I want us to see that the tithe of ten percent is actually the starting line that's the that's the jumping off point, and thus we should challenge ourselves to continue to grow in our understanding of giving and then continue to fight. For ways to continue to give more, whether it's our finances, whether it's our resources, whether it's our lives, whether it's our time. So I am, I want you to hear my heart today. If you you walk out of here today and you say, wow, that sermon was very self-serving. Clearly the pastor knows what we give and he ain't happy. I want to tell you, you're lying to yourself now because I don't know what you give. If you've not noticed, there's not a pastor on this staff who will take money directly from you. We tell you where to take it because we don't want to know. We don't want to be put in the position to where all of a sudden we now know and we have to wrestle with how we handle this. Or we now have to wrestle with, should I give this person more time than I give that person because of what they give? That's not right. We don't want to be put in that position. That's called partiality. It's a sin. Okay, so we don't know. Thanks be to God. I'm okay not knowing. So if you if you walk out and you're thinking that that's what this message was about, then you're missing the point. Rather, I'm hoping today that when you walk out of here, maybe you're convicted a little bit about your own thoughts on giving. Maybe you're encouraged by your own thoughts on giving. Maybe, maybe you leave here rethinking your schedules a little bit. Maybe you, maybe you walk out of here thinking, man, what else can I do to continue to advance the kingdom of God right where he has now called us? Maybe today you're, you're convicted and, and maybe that you realize all of a sudden that your giving has not been an act of worship, that you've been too protective of other things, that you're, that you're not approaching this with an, old, with an open hand. Maybe today your giving of yourself and your time and, and your, your resources has been more like the, the Old Testament believers that we talked about here in Malachi. And so maybe, maybe you look more like the pagans that God compares them to. To where maybe you barely give out of obligation and you hardly give a second thought about it. Well, that's you today. I hope today you were convicted to continue to use the tithe as a starting point and then continue to challenge yourself to give more from there. Challenge yourself to give more of yourself, more of your time. So that the church can continue to, to faithfully shepherd. So that the church can continue to faithfully serve one another and serve the community That the Lord has placed us, not only locally, but nationally, and as we move on. Because let me tell you, we're fixing to start talking missions in this church pretty soon. Okay? And so the question is going to be this, who's going to give and who's going to go? Because we're going. So who's with us? Maybe you're not convicted today. Maybe today was encouraging for you and praise be to God if that's you because maybe you're encouraged that through this text that you see that God has now called you to continue to give, which you already do. Praise the Lord. I hope today that you were reminded that through giving, we are, we are trusting God with what it is that he will do in the work that he has now called us to. But at the same time, I hope in, in giving, we see that it is God again who gave first to us. Okay, so don't fall into that trap of saying, look at what I am doing for the Lord. Rather, say this, because of what the Lord has done for me, I am able to now do these things. Because it was God who loved me first, and not the other way around. I pray that maybe this would be an encouragement that all we have is from him. And thus our act of worship, we see that we are now called to live generously and give back to him. And I want to tell you something. If you're struggling with giving, giving of time, giving of resources, whatever that is, giving tithing even, if that's you today, I want to tell you there's a lot of help on this area, okay? This is kind of like if you ever grew up watching Reading Rainbow and it ends with the guy saying, but don't take my word for it, and then he has like a really cute kid tell tell people about the book. That's kind of this moment, all right? You don't have to take my word for it. You can search the scriptures yourself. Go back and read those passages in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans. Go back and read Malachi chapter 3 for yourself. Go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 14. Go back and read all these things for yourself. Maybe reading's not your thing and you want somebody to talk to. Can I tell you what God has done for us by the grace of God? We have people in this room that are really good at finances. And they will help you. We have an elder that is his job. Like he literally does finances all day. Now he's a huge Yankees fan as well. So you got to get past that part. But then he's really good. He can help talk to me. We have a listen, if that's not your thing, we have a deacon in this room who is like the king of financial peace. He knows more about Dave Ramsey than Dave Ramsey knows about Dave Ramsey. And I've watched this brother. Teach a course on Financial Peace University. So if that's you and you're struggling with your finances, we got help for that. And these guys would love to talk to you individually or even set up times where you can meet collectively as a group and you could just work together. So that you're not only caring for yourselves and your family the way you ought, but that but that you're also caring for the kingdom and what the Lord has called us to as well. There is help for that. You see, all this comes back to good stewardship. And I love what Alister Begg says on stewardship. He says this. He said, stewardship is an aspect of the work we do in the name of our risen Lord on this side of our own resurrection. So here are these words, faith family. Let's not neglect the storehouse of God. My prayer is that we would be a people who continue to give generously with our time, with our lives, and yes, with our resources. And we don't just do it out of obligation, but rather we do it because we know what God has given to us. So as a church, when we give, let's be reminded of who God is. When we give, let's be reminded of who we are. As we give, let's be reminded of how we are now called to live generously, giving back to God what is due his name. All glory and praise to our God. Let's pray together.